It's Thursday, 14th July 2022, and welcome to a special edition of the Water Action Platform, where we're talking all about young people in the water sector, including what their achievements and challenges are, as well as their views and outlooks on industry that has the image of being quite set in its ways. So, who am I, and why have I hijacked Piers' role today on the Water Action Platform? My name's Alicia Sile, and I, like many other young professionals, have the desire to climb the ladder in an industry that has the tremendous potential to benefit society and the environment. I started off at Isle as a placement student, made my way up to graduate, and now I'm working as a technology consultant with a desire to further progress to senior consultant. More recently, I've been selected for this year's Institute of Water's Rising Stars programme. And for those of you that don't know, this scheme takes on eight young water professionals and it takes on a year-long skills development programme to nurture rising talent in the industry. For more information on this amazing programme, you can check out the Institute of Water website here. So our programme today has been put together to showcase some of these rising stars, their views and achievements. I'm also really excited to share with you an interview with Bob Taylor from Portsmouth Water to get a bit more of an experienced view on the topic, and our sector expert, Siddhartha Roy, who really is a real-life role model for young professionals like myself wanting to help society through science. Finally, for our technology showcase, we have Stephen, a young entrepreneur with a product to help utilities combat leakage, which is a real pressing concern for utilities worldwide. All of this today has been made possible for our, by our wonderful sponsors shown here on the screen. So, why are we doing a webinar on this topic? Is it really something that we need to be talking about? It is according to the EPA, who says that in the next 10 years, it's projected that 37% of all water utility workers and 31% of wastewater utility workers will retire. An ageing workforce has also been listed as one of the top 10 issues facing the water industry today. It's clearly an issue in the UK as well, with just 8% of the workforce being under 24 across water and utility sectors. So here you have all the stats. Again, is it really much of an issue? Well, last year, all around the world, one in four people lacked safely managed drinking water, 3.6 billion people lacked safely managed sanitation services, and 2.3 billion people lacked basic hygiene services. Now, with added factors like population growth, we need to keep up with the ever-expanding need for sustainable water supply and sanitation. Climate change isn't helping things, it's intensifying any existing inefficiencies and also worsening impacts of systemic shocks like COVID-19. So, with all these points in mind, I wanted to get the perspective of a CEO of a water company to shed a bit more light on this topic. Bob Taylor is the CEO of Portsmouth Water, which is a relatively small utility providing drinking water which serves the domestic population of around 700,000 people. Portsmouth Water really sees the value in attracting young talent and I wanted to speak with Bob as this organisation has a relatively good balance of age diversity compared to other UK water companies. Let's hear from Bob now as to what he sees are the benefits of having a young workforce. Well, I think utilities in general, certainly in the UK context, um, all talk about having a, a, a slightly uh, skewed age profile within their workforce, where there are a lot of people who've worked a long time in the industry uh, are due to be retiring in the next few years. So um, I suppose the advantage of having a young workforce is that you've got people coming in to, to, um, to replace and replenish uh, the workforce at that younger end. That's in simple terms the, um, the, the most fundamental advantage. But obviously, young people come with a, a different mindset, um, a different skill set, and um, 
with different angles on important topics that we're talking about in our industry. So um, from my perspective, it's as much about that as it is about just having people to, to, to fill the jobs that we will need in the future. Do you see any kind of shortcomings or lack of skills in, a, in particular areas in, in, you know, in the younger workforce? Do you think there's a, there's a skills gap or do you think that with the right training and the right mentoring that that kind of gap can be bridged? No, I, I don't see that there's a particular skills gap. Um, I think everybody needs to, you know, to go through uh, uh, the education process gain experience in the workplace. You know, I don't think there's any shortcuts to any of that. You're not going to get people, um, you know, coming into the company um, after university, for example, who've got the same knowledge and experience as people who've been in the company for 30 years. I think, you know, you've still got to go through that process. But but yet the younger people of today learn very, very quickly. They've got so many channels uh, available to, to learn from, from each other, from, uh, from the web, uh, from social media and so on so um, and, and they're used to actually being inquisitive and actually finding out about things and researching in that way. Yeah no really good point Bob about the, the kind of working culture at Ports of Water so do you think that's a kind of main draw to you know to young people to want to join Ports of Water is it you know the opportunity that you give to graduates you know the good working culture was it a mix of kind of all of those things? Yeah I, I think I mean, I cast my mind back to when I was, um, you know, leaving university. It's a very long time ago, <laughs> and nearly 40 years ago, um, I graduated in 1983, and I went to work for uh, a, a smaller water company, not dissimilar to Portsmouth. And um, uh, in the smaller companies, I think you, you you're um, you're more visible to the decision makers, and you get more responsibility more quickly than perhaps you might do uh, in a larger company where things are perhaps a bit more structured. Um, so I think people are attracted by that. I think people are attracted by the work that we do and the reputation and the trust that customers have in us as a business. Um, and they're attracted by the fact that there are still challenges in our industry that um, you know need new ideas. They need innovation. They need different thinking and Part of the process that we've gone through with our younger people is to set up a what we call a future innovators board, which is comprised of it's not it's not um, ageist in the sense that it's only for young people, but it it's it's comprised mainly of younger employees, and um, we give that group an opportunity to um, to deliver deliver particular pieces of work for us as a business. So our, our social contract, our community partnership, as we call it, is something that that group has, has developed um, with the support of more senior people in the company. And we're just consulting with customers on that at the moment, but also to have views and opinions on other important topics that we're undertaking and decisions that we're making as a business. And again, present a younger person's view on all of that rather than it, the decisions always been being taken by people with grey hair and um, many years of experience, such as myself. Bob clearly sees value in a younger workforce, but he also made a really great point that young people aren't going to have the same knowledge and experience as senior staff and operators, but it's about that collaboration so different generations can learn from each other and ultimately make better informed and forward-thinking decisions. We're now going to go to Emma Webster, a process engineer at Veolia Northern Ireland. Emma is also one of the eight rising stars for this year, so let's hear about her experience working as an engineer on the waste side, 
what she sees are the key issues affecting the water industry and her views on change. Hi, my name is Emma Webster and I am delighted to be participating in the Water Action Platform July webinar, which is focusing on young people in the water industry. You can probably tell from my accent, I am from Northern Ireland. I'm 25 years old and I joined the water industry in 2017. I currently hold the role of process engineer for the Omega project in Northern Ireland with Veolia and ensure continued compliance and process optimization on the wastewater treatment sites that Veolia operates and maintains. I am also involved in the Institute of Water and sit on the Northern Ireland Area Committee as Young Persons Network representative and secured the 2022 NI Area Rising Star position, which has been a fantastic opportunity so far. The first key challenge I see facing the industry is reduced treatment capacity, which stems from aging assets, which are not able to cope with increasing loads from growing populations. It's actually a massive issue that we have in Northern Ireland as housing developments are being delayed or turned down because they cannot connect to their associated sewer networks. We have a campaign called Drains Before Cranes, which I think is an excellent name, that highlights the investment needed. This issue was highlighted to the UK water industry by Ofwath in 2011, and so we have known about this problem for years and have not acted quickly enough. Similar to how we have acted with climate change, and now the issues are on top of us. So we know we need to expand, but two issues exist, a lack of space associated with urban works and the high costs with development. We really can't start pouring concrete to solve this and need to build and optimise on what we already have. I feel the next step is being more open to new solutions. We can be quite set in our ways as an industry. The activated sludge process is around 100 years old and virtually remains unchanged. We need to invest, invest more in R&D and then also be open to trialling these innovations and new systems on our plants, looking beyond those initial costs. It's time to visualise the plants of the future. Automation, digitalisation, dynamic treatment, smarter and more efficient biomass. The solutions are out there. We just need to trust change more. Secondly, climate change is happening. From 2019, water companies across the UK have started to make emission cut and net zero pledges. We have joined the conversation, but now we must act. Wastewater treatment is a huge consumption of energy. Um, there's a lot of pumping and aeration involved, and we admit many greenhouse gases. I think we have an obligation as an industry to help um, tackle climate change, and it's even in our own interest as extreme weather from climate change, such as drought, more rainfall, higher temperatures, will affect us. It's been said before, but cross-collaboration is key between water companies, but also between different sectors. I truly think the water industry will have to work alongside the energy and transport industries, for example, to tackle climate change efficiently, such as with hydrogen production. The hydrogen can be used for fuel and the oxygen can be added to our aeration plants to enhance our treatment. It's a win-win. Decarbonisation can be done together to build the new systems that we need. This is my view anyway. Those are my thoughts as a young person on the challenges ahead and I am excited to play a role in tackling these and see what the future of the industry holds. Decarbonisation is the goal and maybe the only way to achieve this is by working alongside other industries which again requires the water industry to be more open, collaborative, willing to take risks and perhaps young professionals like Emma can pave that way and bring that much needed change. Ollie Perkins, our next speaker, is passionate about all things digitalization in the water sector. He's a water and wastewater engineer and modeler at Arup, 
and he has his own views about what he thinks the water industry needs to be doing differently. Let's hear now from Ollie on the value of data and why we need to be doing better to tap into its real potential. My name is Ollie Perkins. I am a water and wastewater quality modeler and engineer at Arup, based in Bristol in England. My main role is to model water quality in rivers and understand the impact of water industry assets in other sectors on poor water quality. We can then use these models to understand where we need to make changes to improve water quality and what these changes should be. And also try and strike a balance between the cost and environmental impact of doing nothing and letting rivers be as they are, and the cost and environmental impact of, say, upgrading water treatment works, relaying sewers, building storm tanks, or other kinds of investments that will help improve water quality. The kind of modelling that I do is very data heavy. We have years worth of data on flows, water quality, abstraction, behaviour of sewer networks, and traditionally this is all processed manually in Excel, which is, as you can imagine, very time consuming and error prone. As part of my role, I've tried to really drive us towards digitalisation. In this particular context, it generally means Python scripts um, to process the data and import it into our models. There are multiple benefits to this. To start with, it's much easier to check and review than Excel. Rather than having a formula bar, you have some hopefully nice and clearly written scripts. It's much less error prone. Um, it's much more repeatable. So if I have a different data set for a different model, I could just use my Python script, press play, and it will give me the results I need. It's faster and it can handle, handle bigger data sets. So a couple of million rows and no problem whatsoever. Um, with changes in regulation and increased computing power, we're going to get more and more data. We can't keep working in the same way. We need to get more from our data and make the best use of it. Spend less time processing the data and more time thinking about what is it actually telling us. My key message to the industry is we need to focus on upskilling. Focus, as I said, on understanding what is the data actually telling us thinking about how do we store data? How do we quality assure it? And we need more joined up thinking. So different stakeholders hold different data sets that are very related to each other. How do we combine these to give us the best understanding of what rivers are doing, for example? And to people watching this, my message to you is, if you haven't already, develop a, a digital skill. I don't think it really matters what it is, it could be. Python, it could be a tool like FME, um, it could be an Excel script that helps process data, it could be a really solid understanding of stats and data science, but some sort of digital skill is I think essential for the future. Digital skills are clearly essential for the future. The demand for digital skills is at an all-time high and supplies low. So much so that the BBC News has stated that the UK is heading towards a digital skills shortage disaster. So Ollie's takeaway message about learning a digital skill is something we should seriously all consider, and especially the younger generation. Whilst we're on the topic of digitalisation, for those of you that are interested, IL holds Digital Transformation Peer Group meetings, or DTPG meetings, once every few months. These meetings are designed to be a safe space for like-minded utilities to discuss their digital challenges 
share their mistakes, learnings, and best practices, and really go on this digital journey together. For more information about this, please contact either myself or Stuart Moss. It's now time for our sector expert interview with Siddhartha Roy. Sid is an environmental engineer and research scientist who's already made big waves in the water industry. Sid was only a graduate when he played an instrumental role in uncovering the Flint water crisis in America. This was a public health crisis in which tens of thousands of Flint residents were exposed to highly dangerous levels of lead in their water supply. My colleague Yang interviews Sid, and it's so interesting to hear all about Sid's journey in the water industry, his obstacles, and most importantly, his advice to young water professionals. Let's hear from Sid now. Sid, thank you for joining us today. I know that you were instrumental in uncovering and bringing attention to the Flint water crisis. Can you tell me about how you first got involved in this issue and what got you going? Yeah, I, I think uh, Flint uh, has become the signature case of environmental injustice in the, in the 21st century, especially coming from a country like the US where the, the default assumption is if you open you know, your tap, the water is probably safe. Um, and it is in most places. Uh, the, way, uh, the way I got into it is, you know, I was, a, I was a graduate student at Virginia Tech at the time working with my advisor, Dr. Mark Edwards. And our research group really specializes in looking at what happens when water leaves the treatment plant and then gets to your tap. So that's our expertise. And a resident who was concerned about water quality changes, health issues, uh, she reached out to Mark asking for help. And we we decided we felt something was was wrong with how the uh, how the issue was playing out, and so mm. we decided to collaborate, um, and that's how uh, that's how I got started. Uh, um, you know, aside, uh, he Mark has a big research group, so he took us all out on p for pizza, fed us a lot of pizza, and then we were all happy and half asleep. He's like, "Do you want to help me?" <laughs> work on the city uh, and the water issues there. And we all happily said yes, having no idea what we said yes to. That, that's the headline right there. Uh, Top-notch researchers uh, bribed with pizza to be involved no. in one of the landmark uh, water <laughs> crisis emergencies uh, in, in modern day. And I know from your TED talk that you've been accused of, um, and I guess this applies to you as well as to your, your team, of espousing youthful idealism and mm -hmm. that you are working with Hollywood's dramatic sensibilities. I, I think that's an overreaction. And I can imagine this must be um, the kind of comments that you get as you um, worked on, on the Flint water crisis, among others. But what are some of the obstacles that you've had to face as a young research scientist and how did you overcome them? Right. You know, to quickly address uh, that issue of, of youthful idealism, I think so many of us, including you, uh, I believe, you and I, we got into this field so that we could be of use to society and, and you know, uh, up, uphold their health and well-being. That's what we got into water uh, uh, the field. And to be accused of those things is, is bizarre because the person doing that is, is also a star in the water field. So to imagine that they would be questioning our ethics and motivations of helping a population help itself uncover water quality issues but was strikingly bizarre. Uh, it, was, it was hard to understand. Um, I think, however, uh, uh, we reminded him and many others of our first canon of civil engineering, which is to mm. hold paramount health, safety, and welfare of the public. And 
there's, I, I think that's idealism uh, at its best that we all should be striving for, uh, because that is why you're in this field. If, if not, please get out. Um, um, I, th <laughs> I think to answer your question of the obstacles I, I faced, I'll, I'll quickly name two. I don't think they're obstacles, they're opportunities. If you're, if you're mm -hmm. you know, getting into the field, um, the two things that stood out to me were, were being, uh, were, I had to learn many things from many different fields very quickly, especially as a researcher, you're tackling complex questions. So I had to learn econometric methods to figure out if there were excess fetal deaths from lead exposure in Flint. Mm. I had to learn different kinds of field meters when we'd go into people's homes to sample for things like lead and Legionella and chlorine and that sort of thing. I had to learn how to you know, put pipes together because some of my experiments required building these experimental rigs and running them for months at end. I had to learn how to use, how to make websites and make videos so that we could communicate all this stuff, you know, data visualization stuff so I can tell everyone what we are learning. So. And that was, I think, an amazing challenge in learning all these different skill sets and being ready and, uh, and despite steep learning curves, being excited about them. The second one, I think, is learning how, uh, working, learning how to work with different stakeholders, because mm. obviously, as anyone who works in water knows, it's not an isolated thing. There are government agencies, there are laws, there are uh, local departments, there are water companies, there are consumers, there are NGOs, there are all these different consulting firms, everyone's working together. So if you're working on projects that are public facing or impact the public directly, you will be interacting with so many of these people who have different uh, perspectives and, and points of views and vested interests. So to be able to see things from all these different perspectives and still stay true to the science, still uh, be able to communicate complexity and what you found in a way that all of these people can understand is paramount to do your job well and be effective at and whether it's bringing change or exposing contamination or just asking for help. You, you need to be good at what you're doing and communicating it well as well to all these stakeholders. Yeah. Very well said. You know, that's the, I think that's a call to action for any um, modern day uh, water professional, just not just the, the young water professionals, but for everyone in the sector, but specifically in, in, um, uh, convincing young water professionals to step up. Um, what do you think can we do for each other to support our mutual growth and continued impact in the sector? Right, so uh, I have three, um, let's see. There are so many things, right? Um, but I'll offer three bullet points. For, uh, first, I'd say, you know, develop unique competence. Um, you know, if you're 20 or 25, you probably don't know very much, despite what the world is telling you. You know, you're this amazing young professional on a path, which is true, but you probably haven't learned enough. So always be learning as much as you can so that when you go at to conferences, when you go and join teams, you're useful, your knowledge is, is, is contributing to the problems that you're trying to solve. So first and foremost, you know, help yourself in developing unique competence and always be eager to learn. Mm -hmm. um, you know, <clears throat> the second is ask for help and advice. Uh, if someone is doing what you want to do, please reach out, say, can I schedule an informational interview? If they live in the same city, say, can I buy you coffee? The point is, it's not networking. You actually want, you're curious about their journey and you'd like to know what they did and who they know and what drives them and what keeps them up at night so that you could use that in your journey and then possibly reach where they are now, right? 
Um, and I think number three is pay this forward generously. Answer mm -hmm. every email, answer every LinkedIn message that you receive from, uh, from interested people as much as you can so that, you know, if you have information or knowledge that they that could be of use to them, please share it. Uh, it's, this is not just for conferences. Uh, uh, it has this has to be an ongoing process where we are committed to each other, uh, you know, driven by this common goal of you know providing safe water to everyone. So if people want to join this uh, this group, our endeavor, please answer their questions as much as you can. I love that um, curiosity, generosity and pizza. Those are my takeaways from this conversation. Thanks a lot, Sid, for talking to me today. You're very welcome. Thank you again for having me. Sid's attitude and resilience comes across so clearly, particularly that part when he said that he views obstacles as opportunities, which I think is just brilliant. It's clear that there are underlying issues of reverse ageism in the water sector, but as Sid mentioned, it's about turning these obstacles into opportunities, and a young person's lack of experience can be seen as a disadvantage by senior leaders, but actually, it's an ability, an opportunity to absorb new ideas and connect more dots. Our final segment today is our technology showcase. And given the theme of today's webinar, we thought it would be good to shed some light on a young technology entrepreneur, Stephen. Stephen is the CEO of Haraya Water, a company that specializes in smart water management solutions. Non-revenue water is a huge problem affecting utilities worldwide and in fact, the global cost of non-revenue water has been roughly estimated to be a whopping 39 billion US dollars per year. Stephen from Hirai Water is gonna join us now and tell us about his product, RTAP, which is a pressure management system that can help utilities reduce their water losses. Hi, I'm Stephen from Hiraya Water, the Philippines pioneer and leader in smart water management. Our flagship product is called RTAP, an intelligent supply and pressure management software that helps water utilities reduce their non-revenue water, reduce their operational expenses, and improve the service level that they provide their customers. That improvement in service level translates to revenue increase for the water utility as well. So how does this work? This is a diagram of a typical municipal water supply network. So when we partner with the water utility, we can also help set up these sensors and controllers at strategically identified locations. We install at um, pumping stations, the sources, booster stations. We also install at uh, the valve locations, at reservoir locations, and at critical points. You know? And what these devices do is they send real-time data to our cloud server, which our cloud server houses bulk of our intelligent control. Both meaning not all because part of the control is housed on site on the edge level so that when connection to the internet is intermittent, the operation is still maintained stable. So RTAP analyzes a wide range of data, including flow pressure, tank level, valve setting, power consumption, and other power-related data. RTAP adapts to both short-term and long-term variations in the network. Short-term meaning, for example, a sudden change in a demand in a particular area. That results in you know lower service level in some parts and you know excessive pressures in another and long-term meaning variations including aging of pipes uh, the change in occupancy in a particular area the development of a particular community over time you know? so RTAP adapts to both short-term and long-term changes in the water network and because of this intelligence and accuracy in operation 
we are able to help water utilities reduce their NRW, reduce their power consumption and other operational expenses and improve the service level that they provide their customers, you know, increasing their revenue as well and financial position. And in retrospect, you know, I think I know now why I have so much affinity to water. You know, and it's because I myself have experienced the water crisis firsthand. You know? So during my younger years in the 90s, our water utility was really so inefficient that literally no water comes out of our tap you know, on a regular basis, on a daily basis. So we would wait until midnight to access water. And we were oftentimes forced to regularly buy expensive water delivered in tankers. You know? So that's history now. And while our water service provider is, you know, more, is significantly more efficient right now, a lot of water utilities in the Philippines and you know, elsewhere still remain in the inefficient side of things. The good news is there are a lot of solutions to address these inefficiencies. The problem is you know, several of these solutions are restrictive in, in terms of you know, requiring huge capital and requiring a long period of gestation. And so we're bullish about how smart water management, you know, bullish about its potential to provide significant and immediate solution to these inefficiencies. The technology is available. We just need to help the water sector in adoption. And that has been the vision of Hiraya Water, to make smart water management universally accessible. Now, as a special final treat, I'm going to have a two-minute chat with Piers, partly because his ego couldn't cope if we didn't include him in this webinar, but also because I know he'd like to share why encouraging youth is so important to him. Piers, can you step in? Of course I can. And it's a delight to, to be back here. And wasn't that fantastic? Wasn't that uh, such a brilliant program showcasing some amazing youthful talent in the water sector? So the question Alicia asked me to think about was, why, is, why do I think youth is important in the water sector? And it's really simple. It's a very personal answer. Because if I go back 30 plus years to when I joined the water sector, I worked in Northwest Water, a water utility here in the UK. And we were part of a small team of very young people. We were all in our mid, early 20s. And, um, and we worked for a boss called Warren Davis. And Warren was incredible. He put wind under the wings of these, these sort of young, possibly somewhat naive brains so that we all felt that we could try things and work out what was our style, what was the things that we were going to be good at. And every one of those individuals is now in senior posts in water sector in the water sector around the world. And it's a perfect example of how by encouraging some young, and of course, it's just like Sid said in his bit, where you know, when you're 25, you think you know it all, but you don't. There's still stuff to learn, but that doesn't stop you from putting wind under those wings of bright young people who can change the world. So that's why I think youth is important. I'm going to hand you back now to Alicia to wrap up this session. Thanks, Piers. So with that, we now come to the end of this week's special broadcast. I thank all of our contributors, sponsors and partners. If you want to know more about any of the topics that we discussed today, please let myself or Piers know. Next month, the Water Action Platform theme will be the ubiquity of water with Dr. Joe Burgess as the host. It will be held on Thursday, 25th August, and we hope to see you there. In the meantime, keep asking questions, keep sharing and keep safe.